The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. And with that, if you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, we're going to tell the story of the conversion of a man named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Who had, he's on his way to Damascus. He's actually absolutely against Jesus Christ. He is against Christians. He is against, well, really, Jewish people who now believe that Yeshua, Jesus of Nazareth, is the Messiah. And he is burning a road of fire and of bringing men and women, he's chasing them, he's going after them all the way into another country, up into ancient Syria, Damascus, breathing fire and threats against them. And I love this because he's going after to arrest believers. But on the road to Damascus, this man Saul was arrested by none other than God himself. You know, do you know that in the year 2020, God is getting ready and going around ready to arrest people that are against him and to open their eyes and to reveal that he is their creator and that he loves them. God loved Saul, though Saul didn't know who he was, but he had a radical, radical experience on the road to Damascus, a life changing experience. And I am sharing this tonight for those who are going to have that radical experience. Between now and next year in 2021, they're going to be arrested by the creator of the universe. (laughs) They're going to be captured by the love of God. They're going to have a 180 degree turnaround. And instead of running from God, they're going to be running to the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. So Acts chapter 9, let's look at uh, verses 1 and 2. So Saul of Tarsus is actually the one that is kind of leading the way within the Sanhedrin and among the Pharisees against the church. And instead of destroying the church, he's the head of persecution. Instead of destroying the church, persecution sent the gospel further and faster. Can I hear an amen on that? So Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, Then Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way. Now that's interesting. That's what they called in the earliest days, followers, disciples of Jesus. It wasn't known yet as Christianity. They were followers of the way. Where did that come from? Probably from the Lord Jesus himself who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you became a follower of Jesus, you were a follower of the way, the way of Jesus, whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, I want to ask you this. Have you ever known someone that you thought would never in a million years become a Christian? (laughs) You might be related to them. They might be a member of your family. And they're against God. They're against the church. 
they, they very easily point out all of the hypocrites, all of the flaws. They know all of the battles and accusations. They're in it for the money. Look, they say one thing, they do another. They highlight to you and send you and post things to you of here's another pastor fallen, another ministry that's fallen apart, another one that went after money or whatever it was. And sometimes, and what makes it even more difficult is if it's a member of your family and you're, you're trying to be Christian about it, but it really is bothering you. And it's almost like they take joy in making your life miserable. You know anybody like that? Welcome to a fitting description of Saul of Tarsus, who was dedicated to the destruction of the church, followers of the way. And now, I mean, he is so passionate about it. He, he believes that these people are out of their minds. He, he knows the general story of Jesus of Nazareth. I'm sure that he had heard of Jesus of Nazareth. He'd heard of the supernatural, the miracles. He'd heard of those who were now beginning to testify that this Jesus, whom some thought was the Messiah, and who had some supernatural things surrounding him, but who was crucified as a false messiah, hanged upon a tree, and then buried into the grave. And now these same disciples are going around saying, that guy, Jesus of Nazareth, is risen from the dead and alive. And that just made Paul more mad. I should say Saul. He's not Paul yet. He is so com you know, committed to destroying because he thought they were not of God. He thought the supernatural things were literally of Satan and not of God. And it was absolutely when, when Saul of Tarsus becomes saved, when he is born again, it is so out of the blue, so unexpected most of the church didn't believe it was true even after it really happened. And that's what happened. A young Saul of Tarsus, the enemy, the persecutor, the relentless pursuer of Christians, and now being pursued by Jesus Christ himself. After his salvation, after he gets converted, he begins to go passionately now Everybody that he had destroyed, now he wants to share the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is alive, and he is responsible for planting more churches. He blazed a trail that literally continues to grow around the world to this day. How many say we need another apostle like Saul of Tarsus? He is the one who had supported the plot to arrest, convict, and stone Stephen. And then he began a reign of terror in the city of Jerusalem. In our previous chapter, Acts chapter 8, we read that as for Saul, chapter 8, verse 3, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And now, apparently, he'd been doing that in Jerusalem, and he'd arrested a lot of people, had a lot of them beaten, some had been put to death. Of course, we know the story of the previous chapter with Stephen, that he had been put to death and Saul was there consenting to it. And he wasn't satisfied with what's happening in Jerusalem. He goes, I've heard that now that we're persecuting them, the Christians are on the run. And they're going up into the next country and to the city of Damascus. 
So he went to the leaders of the Sanhedrin. He said, look, give me official papers. So when I get to the country of Syria and I enter into the city capital of Damascus, I've got authority that I can go into the synagogues, find these heretic Jewish, non-Jewish believers in Jesus and arrest them and bring them back and put them in prison in Jerusalem. That was Saul. And at that moment, if you had been able to take Saul and say, Saul, why are you so against these people that are followers of Jesus? He probably would have said to you, look, they are saying that this Jesus is the Messiah, but he's dead. He is not alive. Did you not hear he was hanged on a tree? It is written in the scriptures in the book of Deuteronomy, cursed is anyone who is hanged on a tree. This man was hung on a tree. He was rejected by God. He was cursed by God. Anything supernatural that happened was of the devil. And we need to stop it. Jesus is not alive. Jesus is dead. And so in spite of, you know, all of the wonderful learning that this man had, in the scriptures, he didn't really understand the Old Testament. He didn't know that the scriptures and the prophecies were literally pointing the way to Jesus of Nazareth, that exactly what happened to Jesus, being rejected, being hanged upon a tree, yes, being made a curse so that he bore our sin, he bore our diseases, he bore our infirmities, he bore our sicknesses on the cross for us that we might be healed and delivered, amen? He didn't know all of that. And there are many self-righteous people today that do not see their need for a savior. And they resent being told that they are sinners. So Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, got letters, and went on up to Damascus. Now, verses 3 and 4. In verses 3 and 4, the Damascus road experience. This is what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. And it's for us all. God wants all of us to have this story and this testimony in our lives. It says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Woo! Can you imagine this? Here is Saul. Now, Damascus is about a 140-mile journey 140 miles to the north and to the east of the city of Jerusalem. It was on foot about a seven-day journey. We believe this happened probably on the seventh day, just as he is about to enter and approach into the city of Damascus. And, you know, so here's what's amazing is that what, there was something that God had planted. Someone had preached to Saul of Tarsus about Jesus and had said that Jesus was the Messiah, had used scriptures, and who had laid out the prophecies, and who had declared that this Jesus who was crucified was the sacrifice for the sins of the Jewish people, let alone the world, and that he had risen on the third day. And that man's name was Stephen. Saul had been there. He had heard the preaching of Stephen. 
He had listened to Stephen and seen his face when he began shining. Saul was there and heard the message, the preaching of Stephen, and he saw his face shining like an angel. There was something supernatural about it, but Saul was convinced that it's not of God. It's probably of the devil. So he's fighting it. He's against it. And now suddenly there is a supernatural light that breaks out of heaven. Now he's out in the wilderness, out in the desert. It happened at about 12 noon. And all of a sudden it says that there was a, almost like a, a break in the sky and the heavens from heaven itself and the earth below opened up into a column. And there was a beam of supernatural light, a beam of the glory of God that shone from heaven all the way down to Saul. And when, he, when Saul came under the influence of the manifest presence of God, he fell to the ground. So did all of those who were with him. He had some soldiers with him that were like police within the Jewish religion. They were ready to do the actual arresting. He was kind of the representative from the Sanhedrin. And the Old Testament talks about this light when, when he saw the glory of God. The light appeared first in the burning bush to Moses. It was not fire. Don't think of it as a, a bush that had fire. It was not merely earthly fire. It was supernatural in origin. It was the glory of God. That's why the bush was not consumed. It wasn't earthly fire. It was heavenly fire. It was the glory of God. It is what led the Israelites through the wilderness and they were able to see it. A whole people, two and a half million of them, and it manifests as a pillar of fire that went from right over the tent of Israel and all the way up into the sky. And then that glory, that same supernatural glory, went to Mount Sinai and rested on the top of the mountain. Now there was, it was like a cloud, it was like flashes of lightning, there were voices and the shouts of thunder, there was an earthquake, and there was the glory of God that was upon the top of that. That glory was later called by the Hebrews Shekinah. Everybody say Shekinah. That's a Hebrew word. It's a Hebrew word to describe light that is not from the sun or from earth or nature, but it is supernatural. It's literally, the Bible says, God is light. Would you say that out loud with me? God is light. We talk about Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light was the Shekinah glory of God, and that Shekinah glory came now burning down upon Saul of Tarsus, out in the wilderness, and out of the midst of it. Now, he doesn't say it here, but later, Saul actually tells us when he becomes Paul, the apostle, he says, because all the other apostles, remember, had seen Jesus risen from the dead. In fact, one of the requirements to actually be an apostle is that you had to have seen the resurrected Jesus. Well, while it doesn't mention it here, later Paul talks about it and refers to it, what his experience on the Damascus Road where he is saying, I have seen the risen, glorified Lord. 
He was authenticated. He did see the risen Jesus, but he saw him in the midst of that light and that glory of the Shekinah. At first, he didn't know who it was when he was knocked to the ground, but he heard for the very first time the person who was in the midst of the light that Saul could see. He heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Notice that Jesus, so imagine Jesus in the midst of the glory of God that's being revealed from heaven, shining upon Saul. He says, why, he did not say, why are you persecuting them? He did not say, why are you persecuting the church? He did not say, why are you persecuting my church? He said, why are you persecuting me? Listen very carefully. To the Lord Jesus, the church is not merely a theological concept. It is a living part of himself. The church is, to Christ, his own body. And if you touch his body, you have touched the person of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. Woo! Now, I want you to realize that the very same moment that he saw the Shekinah glory, he's knocked down to the ground. He hears a voice. He knows his name. Now, Saul still doesn't know who it is who's talking to him or the figure that he sees in the midst of the light. But he says, who is it, Lord? <laughs> he knows whoever you are, you're Lord. But I don't know who you are. And so look with me in verses 5 and 6. And this is very interesting. Verses 5 and 6, we discover the Holy Spirit had been working on Saul. Nobody would have known it. Nobody could have seen it. None of the Pharisees surrounding him, none of his friends, nobody from the Sanhedrin would have any idea there was something going on inside of the heart of Saul of Tarsus, convicting him and his conscience. Verse 5 says, and he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling, okay, so can you imagine, this is the guy that I said was dead, and he's talking to me out of this light and a column that goes all the way to heaven. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you realize Saul just called Jesus, whom Saul said was dead and didn't exist and had not risen from the dead. He just called him Lord. What do you want me to do, Lord? Woo! That is awesome. And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The very first thing, Jesus did not say, okay, hey, Saul, look, you're going to become this great apostle. You're going to be sent around the world. He didn't give him all of that that we know will eventually happen with him. But if you were here with us last week, you remember, how does God reveal his will to us? One step at a time. Philip, I want you to go down to the desert in Gaza. 
That's all he told him. So he went down there, and when he's down there, he saw the caravan and the man in the coach, and he got the second word, now go up to that chariot and let yourself be known to them. That was plan two. So here it is again with Saul of Tarsus. Just go into the city, and I'll tell you what you must do from there. And I love this. Jesus now says something very revealing about Saul. He goes, it's hard for you, isn't it, Saul? I know you, Saul. I've been watching you, Saul. You've been persecuting my people. Hey, didn't you say I'm not alive? <laughs> Here I am. In heaven and in glory, speaking to you. And you had to bow. Your body had to fall in my presence. And he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, what is a goad? Uh, basically, a goad is a, if you're a farmer and you have cattle or oxen and, uh, you know, you don't want to use your physical hand to move them to go this way or that way. So it's basically, it's a long stick that has one sharp end on it. <laughs> and if you use that goad, it's called also a cattle prod in modern terms, you can get an oxen or a cattle, they'll, they will move away from the object of sharp pain. Do you know what I'm saying? So here, up in the glory of heaven, Jesus has been watching this man furious, flaming after, burning the churches, persecuting, beating them up, throwing them in the prison, some even standing there like withholding the coats of those who killed Stephen. And that, but now Jesus says to him, it's been hard for you because there's been something poking you something piercing you. It was in his conscience. Something was bothering him, and whatever it was that was bothering his conscience, this is how you know when the Holy Spirit is working on your conscience, it brings pain on the inside. It's not on the outside. It's not something physical, but it's something that brings pain to your mind, pain to your heart, pain every time you think of something that you did wrong. It's called conscience. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes. And he speaks to our conscience. I believe that, that Saul never forgot the message of Stephen. He was so against it, but he probably remembered and rehearsed every scripture that Stephen gave. Every quote of the prophecies of the Old Testament. And to quiet his conscience, he began this assault upon the church. Listen to this. We make an observation. Often those who fight the hardest and shout the loudest are the ones whose conscience is killing them the most. And I want to also say they can be the ones that can be very brittle and very harsh and very legalistic. <laughs> and that was Saul. Now, of course, believers had told him, no, Jesus is alive, but he didn't listen to that. And now that he had met Jesus and he'd seen him and he had heard his voice and now his conscience had been exposed and revealed, Jesus is alive. It means now that Saul must repent and that, you know, that's not easy to do when you're a self-righteous Pharisee. Saul had to discover that he was a lost sinner in danger of the judgment of God. I am 
Jesus, whom you have been persecuting. And so that's what is now piercing him all the way into his soul. Now, what's going to happen? Look with me in verses 7 through 9 as we wrap this part of the story of his conversion up. It says, And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Isn't that interesting? One can have a supernatural experience and hear the voice of God. The person right next to them can know something is going on, but they don't hear what you hear. It's that personal. It's that close. So you have to stay open to the moving and the speaking of the Holy Spirit. So the men journeyed with they They heard uh, something, but they didn't understand what was being said. It was very personal between the Lord Jesus and Saul. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. You know, some 30 years later, Paul wrote that Christ had apprehended him on the Damascus road. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It was basically what Paul is saying is, I was, on, I was against Jesus, I was, I was arresting his followers, and the Lord apprehended me. The Lord arrested me. I got arrested. How many of you would love to see, from now going into 2021, a lot of the people that are so anti-Christ, anti-church, anti-the gospel, that God arrests them. Let's let them be arrested in Jesus' name, by God, to be turned around, saved, and to hear the love of God. So I love that. Saul was out to arrest others when the Lord arrested him. And 30 years later, when he talks about, I was apprehended by the Lord. I want you to realize that he was, from the moment he saw the vision of the glory of God, he, from, he was now blind. He was physically blind. Now, eventually, the story will go that God's going to use a man that doesn't really even want to be part of Saul's story to pray for him that he gets healed and his eyes will be opened. But he was blind for how long? Three days. Now, it doesn't explain why God did that, but we can probably very easily imagine that once he saw the glory of God and then Jesus, later Paul writes about his own experience. He says, the things that I now write and the things that I now share in my letters and the teachings that I now give to help mature the body of Christ, I heard personally from the Lord Jesus. And I believe that a big part of that was started in a three-day conversation between Saul and the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He saw that glory and he was blinded to everything else for three days. Yeah. Is there any significance to why it was three days? Yes. Because for the rest of Saul's life, he's going to preach that even when it feels like every hope has died, and been buried, and day after day goes by, and you can't even begin to believe or imagine that there's any hope. I am here to tell you that there is one who was raised from the dead, and that your life is not over. This world is not over. 
You can be healed. You can be forgiven. You can make a 180 degree change of direction in your life. You can be delivered from the, oh, how there are so many people that are tormented, tormented by their conscience, by their guilt, by their fear, by their shame. And listen, when you are living in sin and living a lifestyle in open rebellion against the things that the word of God says that it should be, you have to become even more adamant, more strong, more demonstrative, more demanding, more legalistic that, no, this is, I don't care what the Bible says, I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, and I'm going to do it. And the louder they scream, the more that they are revealing that their conscience will, is tormenting them day and night. They will never be whole, whole. they will never, will never be healed just by saying, no, I feel this way, or my flesh wants this, and I'm going to do it because I can, and I choose to, or whatever. You will never be healed, you'll never be whole, you'll never experience love, or joy, or peace, and you will constantly be goaded by that sharp object in your conscience, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does. And then the moment can come where the very thing that you were against and fighting against, you look up and you have a divine revelation and you realize it's true and that God loves you. There's so many people that have been hurt and wounded and they double down, you know, they reject the Bible, they reject Christianity, they reject the church, they reject so many things. And what it all goes back to is a hurt or a wound that destroyed their image or understanding of God. And let me just say this, Saul's understanding of who God was, was a false picture. The God that really exists is much more kind, and generous, loving, yes. peaceful, yes. forgiving, yes. and restorative than he could have ever dreamed. Where he didn't need to go. Now, he became Saul, who was breathing threatenings and arresting people, beating people, and then having people killed, and then saying, I'm serving God, <laughs> became the meekest, humblest, gentlest, like a brother, a, a, a father, sensitive, kind, with a, with a tender conscience. Yes, he was overwhelmed, overwhelmed with this tremendous love of God. That's the will of God for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Every one of us, God wants us to know and experience him. And my, my prayer as we wrap up, because this is the beginning, this is a huge change in the book of uh, Acts chapter 9, the conversion of Saul, what God begins to do, because the whole book of Acts changes. We were with Peter and John, and then we heard about Philip and Stephen. But now all of a sudden in Acts 9, and we're only one third of the way through the book of Acts, but the whole rest of the book of Acts, God's going to focus on this guy. And follow this guy. Because God's going to take this guy from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And now he's going to make him travel all through the entire ancient world. Around the Mediterranean, the ancient Roman world. And God's going to use him to open the eyes of more generations, more people, more different nations than any other human being that we have known. 
they, they have said that the conversion of Saul to the apostle Paul after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit may have been the greatest gift that God gave to the church because it led all the nations of the Gentiles come into his house and into his kingdom. And I want to just say this to you that uh, part of my own story and testimony, because as I say, God wants us all to have a story and a testimony. The Lord wants you to know him not only in your head, but in your heart. Paul had a lot of head knowledge, but he didn't have a lot of heart relationship. But it's very, very real and very, very true. I've seen the Shekinah, I've seen the glory of God. When I was a young man, I saw that light. I didn't have what Paul had. I did not see Jesus. I heard no voices. But I have seen a light that is beyond light. Uh, it is, and you know, I hardly remember other than that I was, I was on the ground. It was like I was in heaven. I, I was like, I don't want to be anywhere else or do anything. I just want to stay here. I want to be, stay on the ground for the rest of my life. Because heaven becomes so powerful and so beautiful and so supernatural. And it is, I want to just say this. It was at the moment of the greatest persecution of the church that God manifested his glory. Hallelujah. And... Sadly, you know, we're in a time of great persecution right now. And uh, our, I, if you've noticed, we're in trouble. And going into 2021, there's going to be many, many more battles and many more challenges and many more, you know, the enemy is kind of going crazy because he's running out of time is the bottom line. He's running out of time which means we are hastening to the day where we're going to see the light of the glory of the Son of God and dwell with him forever and ever and ever. Amen. He's coming soon. And I, and I literally believe that the reason, so I, I want to leave you with this, that you take your eyes off of, don't just react to all of the bad headlines because they're going to be bad. And we really do believe we're in the last days and the Bible said, when you get to the last days, it's going to be bad. It's not going to be good. It gets good when Jesus comes. But the exciting thing is, don't just lock in and look at the headlines of what's happening in the world. But we have to lift our eyes and look up to what God is doing. And, I, and here's what I want to try to tell you, because this is what comforts and encourages me. The Lord is saying, I'm on the move right now. My kingdom is stirring in heaven because my kingdom, I'm bringing it to bear. I'm coming with so much power, so much authority, and there's nothing that the enemy can do to stop what I'm about to do. He can't resist me. He can't stop me. He can't control me. He's done. So uh, if you just keep your eyes on all the dark stuff, you can get pretty weirded out. But if you take your eyes off of that and put them on the Lord and what he's up to and what he's doing, you can be filled with that heavenly power and authority and glory. And soon he's going to be here. And we're closer and closer and closer. Amen. Why don't y'all stand and let's, uh, let's pray.
Thank you, Father. Mm. Okay, I want you to just, uh, you know, bow your heads for a moment. And I'm just going to just say a little bit to speak into you, because um, I'm praying for you. I am, and I, I'm asking you to pray for me for the, uh, for the days coming. I want to be able to hear the voice of the Lord and obey him, just like every one of you. Lord, I just want, what's, what do you want me to do now? What's the next step? And I want to be obedient. It's very important that you not get so scared that you just say, well, it's too hard. I'm going to just dive into the world, the flesh, and the devil, and just, you know, use that as an excuse, because then you will be tormented. But it's a time where, yeah, you can be shaking and trembling by what's happening, but you can lift, look, look up and, and get your eyes on the Lord, because know this, whatever you look at uh, and, and gaze at is what will take over you. And if you have your eyes on the world, the flesh, and the devil, you're going to just get uh, thrown around. But if you look up and if your eyes are upon him who is seated upon the throne, his power, his majesty, his glory, every word that comes from his mouth will be edifying, encouraging, comforting, hopeful, uh, reassuring, strengthening. And if you continue to behold him, you'll be filled more and more and more with heaven, more and more with hope, more and more with peace. Because I, I think you all realize that uh, we're in a, we're, we're in a kind of civil war right now. Very, very sadly. And that's why I mentioned with this Thanksgiving, you know, it, it's not a coincidence at all kind of got started by a president um, that was literally given the task to hold a nation together while they were in the middle of an abs the most horrific civil war of anything we'd ever gone through as a nation. And the president said, we need to call on God. We need to look up. We need to pray. And we need to give thanks. Yeah. To acknowledge him, to call upon him, to make a proclamation that it's only by his providence right. that we have hope right. for the future. <clears throat> for the world, I'm afraid that um, this division is only going to get worse until and unless people turn to the Lord. Right. There's, there's no easy way out, earthly way out. Um, really, the, the only hope that we have is a revival, a moving, a sovereign touch and move of the Spirit of God. And again, the whole context of what was happening to the early church, it was in the midst of severe persecution that God revealed his glory and saved a man named Saul, the greatest enemy the church had in that hour. And he turned him around <laughs> in such a radical way that even when the Christians heard about it, they said, oh, you're lying to me. You're deceiving me. Such if, if the windows of heaven were open, could such a thing be? Well, as a matter of fact, the windows of heaven just got open. Jesus revealed himself to Saul. 
And now he's going to change his name to Paul. And he's on our side. So, Father, we come before you and uh, we pray. We, we pray and, and we acknowledge that you rule. The world is not in charge. Uh, the leaders of this world are not in charge. Each one is appointed by you. And you put up one and you put down another. So we're trusting that you, even in the midst of this election and battle and fighting, and, you know, it's still ongoing. So we are placing our faith in you because ultimately you have placed your vote, if you will, and your vote is going to take the day no matter what we do. And we acknowledge that you rule and we acknowledge that you reign and that you, your will shall be done. And we come into agreement with whatever your will is. We trust in you and we call upon you. So may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And may we be filled with the spirit led and guided by you. One step at a time. And Lord, we would love to see a a beautiful, fresh outpouring, a revival, a a Jesus people where all we want to talk about is Jesus. Not politics, not the philosophies of the world, but we are consumed with Jesus. May that be our legacy and let it be our future. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.